Good morning, good morning. I'm always thankful to be here with you guys, but I'm especially thankful this morning, just, uh, just um, under the weather, ill all night, and, uh, but God is gracious and uh, has given me the ability to, to at least come and preach, so I, I'm trying to stay away, but nevertheless, Pastor JJ is the understudy, and so if I have to run off the platform, he is wired and fired and ready to just pick right up where I left off, okay? So we'll see what the Lord might do, all right? God is so good. If you would grab your copy of God's word and go with me here to Joel 2 again. Joel chapter 2. Remember you find Joel most easily by finding the book of Ezekiel and then find Ezekiel. Go to the right to Daniel, Hosea, then Joel. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, and then Joel. Now, when you think about the human body, (laughs) your heart is of utmost importance roughly the size of a fist, sitting right in the middle of your chest, slightly to the left there. That heart muscle is there at the center of your circulatory system. It's pumping blood all throughout your body as it beats, sending oxygen and nutrient-rich blood to all parts of your body, carrying away unwanted carbon dioxide and, and other waste products. If you were to think about the human body as a computer, your brain would be both the hard drive and the processor. It's where everything is stored, all programs, files, memory, all of those things. It's also the place that executes all those actions, sending them throughout the rest of the system. But the heart, the heart, however, is the power supply. It pumps the fuel of oxygen and nutrients all over the body, keeping everything powered up and running. And without that power supply, nothing else works. In fact, it all dies. That's why a healthy, functioning heart is so important. Yet in this fallen world, guess what? That's not always the case, is it? Hearts fail us all the time. And while there are many maladies that can strike the heart, perhaps none are more devastating than a torn heart. Did you even know you could tear your heart? I mean, tear your bicep, tear your Achilles, but tear your heart? Well, it's technically called a myocardial rupture. It can happen in your heart's wall, or it can happen in your heart's muscle, or it can happen in your heart's valves. And typically, it's a complication of what's called myocardial infarction, commonly known as a heart attack. That's right. That's good. If you've had one, you know it, (laughs) right? Or if you're a medical doctor, I suppose. Now, although a torn heart, it doesn't happen that often. Here's the deal. When it does happen, it is very high in its rate of fatalities. So to put it simply, a torn heart is very bad. Yet ironically, as we turn here to Joel 2, we find out that a torn heart is one of the very best things that you could actually ever experience, especially in light of the coming day of the Lord. It turns out that a ripped and torn heart is an essential part of the process of returning to the Lord before that dreadful day of the Lord. So this morning, as we continue in our series, a time to turn walking through the book of Joel. Today, we're going to focus on Joel 2, 
verses 12 through 27. But let's just start with one verse. How about that? So let's start with just verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me. Joel 2, 12. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me, the Lord says. So here's today's takeaway. I want you to get this. This is what I want you to walk out of here with. When you realize you are wayward, return to the Lord. When you realize you are wayward, return to the Lord. Now, as we've talked about over the first two messages from this text here, from this, from this book here, one of the ways the Lord wakes us up to our waywardness is through calamity, through difficult and even disastrous events in our life. Chapter one, it was a locust plague coinciding with a drought followed by a wildfire that awakened the nation of Judah to their waywardness. And last week you saw it was the threat of the near, devastating, fast, unstoppable, cosmic day of the Lord that is coming. So calamity is often the thing that God uses to grab our attention. But his desire, y'all, you got to hear this, is not just to drop the hammer on us. His desire is summed up right here in chapter 2, verse 12. Look at it again with me. Joel 2, 12. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me. Beloved, you have to see that is always the Lord's will of disposition. He does not delight in the death of the wayward. He does not delight in the death of the wicked. He delights when we turn back to righteousness so that we can live and have life even more abundantly. And here's the good news. As long as you and I have breath in our lungs, we have the opportunity to return to the Lord. And that's exactly what we should do. When we realize we're wayward, return to the Lord. But how? Well, the Lord through prophet Joel here, he's gonna give us four steps to returning to the Lord. And as we look at these four steps, now we're not gonna look at them in logical sequence. Uh, actually, let me say it the, the, the other way. We are gonna look at these more in a logical sequence and not in the sequence they appear in the text. So we're gonna jump around just a little bit in the text, okay? So, so hang with me. First, the first step to returning to the Lord is to remember the Lord's character and his tendencies. Remember the Lord's character and his tendencies. Look at verse 13 and 14, beginning the end of verse 13. Scripture says, return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he'll not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Beloved, I'm so thankful as I read that text right there that, that this is who our God is. He is indeed gracious and merciful. He is indeed, as it says here, slow to anger. He is indeed one who, who abounds in steadfast love. Where would you be if he wasn't that? And where would I be? I would be toast. I would be toast to the sinner and to the guilty. There are no sweeter words to our ears than what we just read there in Joel 2, verse 13 and 14. 
But this is echoed all over the, all over the Bible. Psalm 145, verse eight and nine, for instance, tells us basically the same thing. The Lord, it says, is gracious, merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And that's what we just read, right? The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he's made. How about Psalm 86, verse 15? The Bible says, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, this is his character. These are his attributes of character. We so often focus on his attributes of power, right? His omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience. Those are his attributes of power. But here we see his attributes of character. And because of his character, the Bible tells us here that he has a tendency in Joel 2, it tells us to relent. Now I didn't say repent. I said relent, R-E-L-E-N-T, relent. To relent is to turn back from a threat of punishment. <laughs> It's like that time that you were bound to determine that you're gonna give your kids the whooping they deserve. You know what I'm saying? I've been there, right? You've been there. They deserved it and you told them they deserved it and you told them they were gonna get it and you meant it, but for whatever reason, mercy and goodness is welled up in your heart <laughs> and you decided at the last minute to not give them that whooping. You relented. It reminds me of the story I always loved to, hear Christy tell over the years of the time that she got in big trouble by her mama and she heard that old phrase that every kid hates, wait until your father gets home. <laughs> Can't you just whoop me, mama? <laughs> no, I want you to really get one. Wait until your daddy gets here and he's really gonna whoop you. And so when her daddy got in, he got the report and uh, he, was, he was pretty angry. And he told Christy, he said, go to my room. And you wait there. And when I come, you are gonna get the whooping you deserve. And so Christy went to the room, expecting the worst. And because she was expecting the worst, she said, I, I'm, I need to help myself out a little bit. So she looked around, she said, oh, there's a book. <laughs> oh, there's a magazine, there's, a, there's another book. And she began to take these and stuff them in her clothes. <laughs> That's a smart girl. That's a smart girl. I, I married a smart woman. <laughs> and then her dad comes in ready to whoop her. But when he looked at her and saw all those books shoved in her clothes, he just started cracking up, right? He, he could not do it. And so he relented. But after he stopped laughing, he looked at her real seriously and said, don't you dare tell your mama I didn't whoop you. <laughs> <laughs> beloved because our God is gracious because he is merciful he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love he has the tendency to relent over disaster you never know the Bible says here he just might relent isn't that what he did with the city of Nineveh remember the city of Nineveh the Lord told Jonah to go to that pagan people in Nineveh that because of their wickedness, he was going to destroy them. And Jonah told the Lord, Lord, look, I don't wanna go tell them because you probably won't do it. 
You're just going to relent. I wish you would just go ahead and do it. He hated the people of Nineveh. Please, Lord, go ahead and just roast them. And so Jonah began to run from the Lord. He jumped on a ship and he set out to sea. But the Lord, by the miraculous means of a storm and a big fish, got Jonah out of that boat, into the belly of that big fish and onto dry land again. And so he said, all right, head to Nineveh. And so he did this time. He didn't know what was going to swallow him next if he didn't. And so he headed out and there he went to Nineveh and he preached that the Lord would soon destroy them. And guess what the people of Nineveh did? They repented. And guess what the Lord did? He relented. He relented of the punishment that was coming to Nineveh, which he's prone to do. Now, here's the deal. Hear me this morning. We should never presume or assume that he will relent. That's called taking God's grace for granted. And we should never take God's grace and mercy for granted. So never assume or presume that he's going to relent. But the Lord here through prophet Joel, he tells the people of Judah and by extension, he tells us to remember the Lord's character and his tendencies here, especially his tendency to relent. So I say to you this morning, while you have the opportunity, return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. You do not know when the day of the Lord is coming. You do not know when, when, when you will stand before God yourself. And so while there is still opportunity, return to the Lord. That's the first step. The second step to returning to the Lord is to rend your heart instead of your clothes. Rend your heart instead of your clothes. Look at verse 13. That's pretty much literally what it says. Rend your hearts and not your garments. To rend, that's, that's not a word that we use very often. To, to rend is to tear, to rip. Here's where that myocardial rupture comes back in, right? That, that torn heart. Now, of course, the Lord is not talking about your physical heart. A, a, a torn heart physically is, is fatal. But here's what the text says. Our text tells us that a torn spiritual heart is life-giving. It keeps us from death. To rend your heart is to be broken over your sin. It's to be sickened by your sin, to grieve your sin, to hate your sin. And one of the ways that the people in Bible days would show their extreme grief and, and anguish over something was to take their clothes and just to rip them, particularly the men, they would just rip the chest open. They ripped or tore their clothes to express symbolically what their heart felt like at the moment. But God says here, rend your hearts and not your garments. Don't you just love how vivid the word of God is? That is vivid. Rend your heart and not your garments. In other words, God is saying, don't you dare just put on a show. 
God says, I want the real thing. I want real brokenness over your sin. I want an inward tearing instead of just an outward tearing. Now, what's the difference? Well, I think the difference is illustrated well in Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the publican. Or maybe you know it better as the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, whichever way you know that. We read about this in, in Luke 18, verse 9 through 14. Luke 18, verse 9 through 14 says, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners and unjust, adulterers and even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, Lord. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, did you see the difference there? The Pharisee was there for a show. He had no brokenness over his sin. In fact, I'm not sure if he thought he had any. He was pretty proud of himself. Lord, you are lucky to have me, it seemed like the Pharisee was saying. And he looked down his proud nose at that sinful, at that sinful publican. But the tax collector or, or the publican, he was not there for a show, y'all. No, he's broken over his sin. His shame and his guilt, it caused him to stand far off. He, he wouldn't even get close in toward the temple. He just barely got in the door there of the temple compound, there where he might pray to God. And the Bible says that his brokenness would not even allow him to lift his eyes to heaven. He could not look toward where he envisioned God in his mind. He, he kept his eyes down grieving over his sin and shame right and his grief was such that he could barely speak there was no eloquence there it was a man beating his chest saying oh my lord forgive me that's all he could say forgive me a sinner beloved that's what God is asking from us when he says rend your hearts and not your garments. He is not looking for a show. I know you want to give a show sometimes. You want people to think that you're holy. And sometimes you do that by just sitting there acting like everything's okay. Like you have nothing to repent of. But the Lord knows your heart. And the Lord is inviting you to rend your heart. He's looking for genuine heart brokenness. And when that happens, guess what's going to happen? You're going to see the fruit of that. 
real heart brokenness, general or, or genuine heart brokenness, it, 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 it's that inward reality that leads to that outward action. You see, it pointed to you here back in Joel at the end of verse 12. The end of verse 12 says that a torn heart will be accompanied by or, in, or accompanied with fasting, with weeping and with mourning. When was the last time you wept over your sin? We see it further described down in verse 15 through 17, where the Lord says, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants, let the bridegroom leave his room and let the bride her chamber. Beloved, listen, there is nothing more important in that moment. I don't care if you're about to get married. The Lord says, this is, this is more important than that. Whatever you're doing, turn from it and go. Cry out to the Lord with a rent and a, a torn heart. Verse 17, between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Between the vestibule and the altar, there in the temple was the place where the priests would pray. And in this instance, the place to seek the Lord for mercy. And as we saw a moment ago, who knows, the, the Lord very well may relent. So I say to you this morning, beloved, listen, rend your heart instead of your clothes. So while you have opportunity, return to the Lord. You say, well, I'm not wayward right now. Praise God. What if you do one day? When you recognize your waywardness, return to the Lord. That's step two to rend your heart instead of your clothes. So we remember then we rend the third step to returning to the Lord is to relinquish your whole self to the Lord. Relinquish your whole self to the Lord. To relinquish is to surrender, to give your whole self to the Lord. Look what it says, verse 12 again. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with what? all your heart. Beloved, God doesn't want just some of you. He wants all of you. He wants your whole heart. And here's the deal. <clears throat> You've not returned to the Lord until that's what he has. He wants your whole heart, your, your whole body. He wants your whole mouth, your whole mind. He wants all of your intentions and all of your motivations. He wants all of your actions. He wants all of you. Jesus said it this way. Matthew 22, verse 37, a passage that you probably have memorized where Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You know, one of the little art projects that I remember as a kid around Valentine's Day was cutting out a big heart and then decorating it. And then we were told to, to tear that heart in half 
and to keep one half and to give the other half to one of our sweethearts or, or to one of our friends. And, and, and that way, when you, when you would stand together, you would, your heart would come together, right? You'd have one whole heart together there, right? How often do we treat the Lord like that, though? How often do we treat the Lord like that? We tear our heart in half. We only give him half of it. We hold back that other half. Or maybe we give that other half to someone or something else. Beloved, that's not how it should be. The Lord here says, return to me with all your heart. It's as a poet once wrote, here's my heart, Lord, covered in red, reflecting the blood for me you shed. It once was a heart cold like a stone, but now it is one for which you've atoned. Here's my heart, Lord, it belongs to you. I surrender it whole, do what you do. It once had a mind so independent, but now it is one genuinely repentant. Here's my heart, Lord, I give it all to you so you can restore it, heal it, and renew. Does the Lord have all your heart? I wonder this morning, you say, listen, I'm not, I'm, not, I would, I'm not what I would call wayward, but there's some distance between me and the Lord. There's distance. I'm not as close to the Lord as I could be and as I should be. And what is that reason? Well, it very well may be that he does not have all of your heart. So rend your heart tear it apart and then give him both pieces so that he might put it back together. So while you have the opportunity, return to the Lord. That's the third step. We remember, then we rend, and then we relinquish, which leads us to the final step this morning to returning to the Lord and that is to receive both grace and justice from the Lord. Receive both grace and justice from the Lord. We said earlier that because the Lord is gracious and, and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that, that he tends to relent over disaster toward us. And guess what? That's exactly what we see here in our text, right? He, he, he not only showers them with grace, but he gives them mercy, right? Mercy is getting what you, um, uh, not getting what you deserve. That's, what, that's how we would define mercy. Not getting what you deserve. That's what mercy is. But not only does he give them mercy, he also showers them. He goes a step further and showers them with grace, which is getting what you don't deserve. He flat out promises to bless them. I want you to check out the rest of this passage here from 18 down to 27. It says, then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, behold, I'm sending you grain, wine, and oil, and you'll be satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. 
I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into the parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise for he has done great things. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he's given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I'll restore you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there's none else and my people shall never again be put to shame. You gotta hear this this morning. This is what the Lord longs to do in your life. He longs to bless you and not curse you. He longs to build you up, not tear you down. He longs to preserve your life and not Take it and I pray that when you recognize your waywardness, you'll return to the Lord by remembering his character and tendencies, rending your heart and not your clothes, relinquishing your whole self to the Lord and receiving grace when it comes. But let's go a little deeper this morning. You see, a heart that is truly broken over its sin is not only ready to receive grace from God, a heart that has truly been broken by sin is also ready to receive justice from the Lord, getting what you deserve. You have to always remember the Lord does not have to relent. He does not have to be merciful. And while he may be merciful in the long run, in the short term, here's the deal. Even for those of us who are in Jesus Christ, we very well in the short term may receive justice instead of grace and mercy. I think about King David after his wickedness when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. You remember that? He, he got Bathsheba pregnant. And then he brought her husband home from, from the war and, and tried to get him to sleep with his wife that it could cover over his sin. And yet the husband was more righteous than King David and would not sleep with his wife because all of his brothers were in the field not sleeping with their wives. And so he wasn't gonna abandon his brothers. He's gonna stick with them. And so David sent him back out to the fighting lines with a note to the general that said, put Uriah in the hottest place of battle and when the time is right, withdraw the troops that he might be struck down and die. I mean, essentially David murdered Uriah. And the Bible tells us that when the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to confront David, David was indeed cut to the quick with his sin. 
He was broken over his sin. He, he cried out. He did all the things that we talked about here. Yet the Lord told David through prophet Nathan that the child would certainly die after it was born. Well, David knew what we know here from the book of Joel, that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast, in steadfast love and that he relents over disaster. And so what did David do? Well, he, he fasted and he prayed and he begged God, God, relent, spare the child's life. But instead of mercy and grace, God gave David justice. The Lord did, uh, the Lord did indeed strike the child. And the child died. And I want you to see what David did. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 18 through 20. It says, on the seventh day, the Lord, uh, uh, on the seventh day, the, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead for they said, behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him and he didn't listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do to himself harm. But when David saw the servants whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself changed his clothes and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house and when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Beloved, what we see in David here is a heart that was truly broken over its sin. It was ready to receive this heart this heart of David was ready to receive both grace and mercy if the Lord wills, but it was also ready to receive justice if the Lord wills. Because here's the deal, y'all. Confessing your sin, it literally means to say the same thing about your sin that God says about your sin. So when you confess your sin, you're acknowledging along with God the absolute sinfulness of your sin and the fact that without a doubt, it deserves the justice of God. So I just want to encourage you this morning, while you pray to receive grace and mercy, and that's the only way I know to pray, right? That's what we want. A heart that's truly been torn is ready to receive justice from God as well and then worship God either way. Now, for those of us who are in Christ, that justice is only temporal. It's only discipline for a season because ultimately Christ paid for our sins on the cross and ultimately grace and mercy are ours forever. But in the temporal moment, you and I very well may receive justice from the Lord, discipline from the Lord. Jesus tells us in Luke 15 that there once was a son who longed to get out of his father's house. And so he asked for his inheritance early. And upon receiving it, he traveled to a far off pagan land where he spent it all up on 
sinful and unwise living in no time he spent it all and one day while this Jewish young man was doing what knew what no Jewish person would ever want to do slopping hogs he was so hungry that he was jealous for what the pigs were eating and all of a sudden he became painfully aware that he was far from his father he in that moment wanted nothing more than to return home to his daddy so he headed home and on the way he braced himself to simply be treated as a servant and because that was what he actually deserved he actually that was actually better than what he deserved but before the son could even get to the house the father saw him coming up the road and he ran out to meet him and he rejoiced that his son had come home and he embraced him and restored him completely as a son and refused to receive him as a servant beloved I want to say to you this morning that is a picture of us and our heavenly father when you realize your waywardness return to the Lord remember the Lord's character and tendencies rending your heart instead of your clothes relinquishing your whole self to the Lord receiving both grace and justice from the Lord when is the best time to turn when you realize you're lost and wayward and here's what I pray my final prayer this morning may you waste not the opportunity to return while it's still offered.